Friends, I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents, a program where we feature some of the wit and wisdom of the venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. It is my sincerest hope that the reflections that you will hear today on this broadcast will truly touch your heart and in a way show you that your life is worth living. Hello, my dear friends, and welcome to another edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me today to listen to one of the greatest communicators of the 21st century. And I say 21st century because Bishop Sheen, although he spoke, of course, in the, in the 20th century, uh, he is the most quoted and uh, replayed uh, artist that I know of on the internet and radio today. And so uh, it is a privilege to be able to share uh, many of his classic recordings with you. And um, I, uh, for many of you, I'm sure um, you're enjoying this weekly, um, I want to say, Bible study, uh, catechism class, um, <laughs> you know, words of encouragement. Uh, we all get so much out of uh, Archbishop Sheen's uh, talks. And so, again, I'm happy to share some of my favorites with you today. And uh, we have, of course, uh, celebrated a few milestones. Um, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of recordings that we've put out uh, to uh, the various uh, podcast um, media sites, uh, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Podbean. And uh, we're one of the most downloaded uh, programs uh, on the Internet today. And so uh, thank you for your interest in uh, Bishop Sheen. And uh, I think of our good friends at Radio Maria who have been uh, sharing Archbishop Sheen all over the world. I'm blessed to be heard each week in the Philippines, Australia, uh, Ireland, uh, England, Canada, and the United States. And so uh, there is a great desire to hear once again Archbishop Sheen's voice. Now, you'll hear me from time to time refer to uh, Bishop Sheen as Archbishop Sheen or Fulton Sheen. Um, his real title is, today it has at least, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen because, of course, the Church and her wisdom have has declared Archbishop Sheen venerable and so hopefully in the near future he'll be declared blessed uh, Archbishop Sheen. Uh, but I think a lot of us know um, Archbishop Sheen just as Bishop Sheen and so I think this is why we call the show Bishop Sheen Presents. Uh, we've been on the air in America now on Radio Maria USA for over a year and I want to of course welcome all the new listeners who have tuned in this week not just in America but all over the world and of course I've been sharing Archbishop Sheen on the radio since 2012 and so I've uh, been blessed to share this show for over 10 years now. And, uh, you know, if you ever want to watch Sheen on 
uh, some video presentations or listen to some of his audio recordings or even read a couple of his books, may I invite you to visit our website, bishopsheentoday.com, and there you'll find hundreds of hours of just what I like to call good stuff, <laughs> real good stuff. And you'll hear me, um, of course, share this website with you uh, every week on the show. So uh, again, I'm just doing what uh, I think is best for all of us. Let us all share Archbishop Sheen with the world. All right, one of my favorite recordings uh, is when Archbishop Sheen talks about angels. And of course, on television, he had a viewing audience of I think it was close to 30 million people each week. Uh, and of course, when he gave the talk on angels, I think uh, the mail he received uh, the following week was, um, I just want to say, um, hard to track. And, and he would receive sometimes 6,000 letters a day at uh, his office. And so uh, he needed a good staff just to open the mail and respond to these many inquiries and many of them of course were just donations that people gave uh, to the cause and so uh, again Fulton Sheen was able to help raise millions of dollars to help the poor and the marginalized all over the world of course he referred to his angel who uh, cleaned his blackboard uh, during his broadcast but I think what he wanted to uh, encourage us is to have that we would all have our own personal relationship with our guardian angel and know that God has been so gracious to us that he's given us a guardian angel to help us on this earthly pilgrimage. And so uh, I think, you know, it puts a smile to many people's faces when we hear about the angels as how um, Archbishop Sheen uh, referred to them. And of course, he would always say, you know, fly TWA. <laughs> and, you know, that was with angels, you know. Um, and so it's just one of these things where he has all these jokes um but again, without further ado, let me share with you this broadcast from the 1950s uh, from the program Life is Worth Living, where Archbishop Sheen will give his talk on angels. Please enjoy. Friends, one of the most curious reasons for ever listening to this program was given last week. One woman said to another, be sure to listen to Bishop Sheen. He's wonderful. You know, in order to get an audience, all he uses is a piece of chalk and a blackjack. <laughs> well, you asked for it, namely the subject of angels. We receive many requests for that particular subject. As you know, there are various names that are given to angels. Sometimes a pedestrian that jumped too late is called an angel. Every year is a leap year for the pedestrian. And then, of course, those who give money to produce Broadway shows are also called angels. We do not know the origin of that expression, possibly because their money has wings. <laughs> then, before marriage, many young girls are called angels by the young men who are in love with them. After marriage, they are called angels, too, because they're always harping on something. <laughs> And sometimes, but perhaps less often, young men before marriage are called angels by the young ladies who love them. And then after marriage, well, one little girl said to her mother, 
Mommy, she said, I've never seen an angel with a beard or a mustache. Do men ever go to heaven? And the mother said, yes, child, but they get in by the close shave. <laughs> Whenever I travel, I am always asked, where is your angel? Well, as a matter of fact, I always tell them, but they never seem to understand it. Well, I have my angel with me. So have you. Of course, you cannot see the angel. But our modern world does not believe in angels. Curious. An angel is put in the category of a myth. Around Christmas time, we have a number of gold ones for commercial purposes. But it is felt to be just a transitional period between infancy and that of adult maturity. And the reason we do not believe in angels is easy enough to understand. Our modern world happens to be rather materialistic. And so most people live in a closed universe in the sense that they believe that man is just an animal. He has no immortal soul. The sole purpose of life is a little security and a little pleasure. There's no world of spirit outside this world of matter. Modern minds are very much like the Soviet world. Soviet world is a closed society. The only great influence in the outside world the Soviets allow in is science. That's because they can turn science back against the world. Well, if you live in a materialistic universe which denies spiritual values, obviously there's no place for angels. Then there are other penalties, too. One shows up in architecture. Have you noticed that modern architecture is absolutely without decoration? Look at the building of the United Nations. It looks like a kind of a cracker box. <laughs> Cellophane windows. Many of the buildings that are going up on Park Avenue. Why this type of architecture? Well, simply because since there's no spirit world, nothing immaterial, then there's nothing to represent symbolically. When people had faith, and when they believed in a world beyond this, then matter was used to symbolize the spirit, such as gargoyles and cathedral, phoenixes and the like. And when we settled down to the dull, drab existence of a material universe, decoration passed out. We also see this effect of materialism on the relationships of person with person. How little courtesy there is in the world today. There used to be courtesy and politeness simply because we believe that every other person bore within himself a divine image. Hence, we treated that person with respect. Today, little courtesy anywhere. I, the other day, I got up on a subway and gave my seat to a woman who was holding onto a strap. She was rather surprised. And she said to me, why did you do that? Well, I looked at her and I saw that she was absolutely incapable of understanding a spiritual reason, and I said to her, Well, madam, I tell you, ever since I was a little boy, I've had an infinite respect for a woman with a strap in her hand. <laughs> But the fact that our 
materialistic world has no room for angels does not mean that it still needs the infinite and the spiritual. Look at our children. They are not taught anything about angels. But a child cannot abandon the infinite. He tumbles among the stars. You might almost say he's stardusty with the infinite, constantly asking the question, why? And so when his parents do not give him anything of this spirit world, what does he have? Space cadets, Captain Video, Captain Midnight, Superman. All substitutes for angels in the world of spirit. So it is with adults. We have not the infinite, so we manufacture substitutes. We speak of the ids and the inferiority complex. Did you ever see an inferiority complex offer a walk? <laughs> so we become interested in the inhabitants on Mars and flying saucers. All these are poor substitutes for the world of spirit. But a carnalized, materialized world cannot believe in angels. But reason can. We know there are angels. How do we know? Well, we know, first of all, let me tell you what an angel is, the origin of the word. Angelos means messenger. An angel was understood to be a creature far below God and yet far above man, purely spiritual, without a body, but possessed of an intellect and will. Jews believed in angels. As a matter of fact, they believed that St. Michael the Archangel is the protector of Israel. Muslims believe in angels. Christians believe in angels, and pagans believe in angels. Reason demands angels. Seneca speaks of angels, so does Virgil, so does Plutarch. Epicetetus said that every man is a guardian angel. Plato and Aristotle said that God used the angels for the government of the world. And the reason pagans believed in angels was something like this. An angel to a pagan was necessary because of the hierarchy of the universe. First, they said, here is the world of matter. Then above that is the world of life. Above that is the world of sentiency belonging to animals. Above that is the world of intellect and will in man with a body. Therefore, they said there ought to be some creatures above possessed of an intellect and a will, but without a body and below God. And hence they people their world with angels. An angel is very smart, much smarter than man. He knows more science than Einstein, knows more baseball than Leo de Rocher, <laughs> knows more jokes than Bob Hope, <laughs> and knows a million times better than I do how to give a good television show. <laughs> when an angel has an idea, take, for example, the idea of man, the angel knows every individual man in the world in virtue of that universal idea. We do not. We just know humanity in general. 
I know that girls would like to have ideas like that, so if they had a general idea of a man, they would know every single man in the world. <laughs> that belongs only to angels. But then, of course, an angel does not know everything. There are certain limitations. An angel does not know future contingent events. An angel does not know the mysteries of grace, unless God reveals those. And thirdly, an angel does not know the secrets of the heart and the motivations of the will. Only the psychiatrist knows those. <laughs> then an angel has no body. When angels appear to man, they have the appearance of bodies, but they're just like the dickies the waiters wear. They zip up the back. <laughs> the theme song of an angel is, I ain't got no body. <laughs> and therefore, an angel never has anything that gets loose, which is a great convenience. Now, not all angels are good. There are some angels that are bad. And uh, I'm going to get, if my little angel doesn't change this board in a minute, I'm going to give him a square halo because he'd be a blockhead. <laughs> Angels were created good, but they were not confirmed in glory. There is a law running through the universe that no one shall be crowned unless he has struggled. And hence man is put on this earth to say I or nay to his eternal destiny. And the angels themselves had to pass the, te pass the test. What that test was, we do not know for sure. We can only guess. One of the beautiful guesses is this. It is presumed that God revealed to the angels the fact that man would sin through an abuse of freedom and that God would redeem man in the person of Christ. And when the angels look forward to God in the form of man, they rebelled. They said that God should not lose such dignity as to descend a lowly human nature. That he should become an angel if he would humiliate himself. And they refused to adore God who would become man. So some of them were lost. And when an angel is lost, there's no change of mind. An angel can't change his mind. Now, no wisecracks about women. They say uh, the reason a woman's mind is cleaner than a man's is because she changes it more often. <laughs> but an angel can't change its mind because an angel sees the consequences of each and every one of its decisions with the same clarity that you and I see the part can never be greater than the whole. And once we understand the meaning of the word part and the meaning of the word whole, the principle flashes. It's irrevocable. We never can take it back. 
Man does not see things that clearly. Hence, man can be forgiven 70 times 7. But the angel's will and decision is irrevocable. If lost, they are lost forever. And they are called the bad angels. And there are a lot of them. One wonders, incidentally, if many of the people today who are committing murder and who are saying, I heard a voice saying, kill him, kill him, if it was not an evil spirit suggesting it. Though an evil spirit cannot impose itself upon the will of man, man still remains free. The suggestion would come from the outside, just like a billboard or an evil book. Now, what is the function of angels? Well, we'll not have time to tell the functions of all the angels, some that glorify God, others that are used in the government of the universe, but we'll mention two that concern man. One function of the angels is illumination. And the other function is that of being a guardian. First of all, illumination. An angel can illumine our mind in the way of truth and also infuse good ideals. We should not be surprised at that. For all there is such a thing now, would seem from our psychological laboratories as extrasensory perception, in which, in the sensible order, there does seem to be the influence of one mind on another mind, nothing material passing between the minds. A professor illumines the mind of his students, unless he isn't a good professor. Some professors are not good, they're just textbooks wired for sound. <laughs> But a really good professor does illumine his students. And then, too, how very often, for example, there will be communication of person with person in a room, and no one else seems to be conscious except those two persons. Didn't Pinza popularize that idea? Across a crowded room. <laughs> And I think, too, not only does an angel put good ideas into our heads, but I believe also that an angel sometimes, when we do wrong, stirs up our souls, causes a little bit of anxiety and worry and fear, so that if we're not going to God with the path of goodness, the angel will worry us until we throw ourselves back again to God. It is a pity that Human beings who have angels, and every individual has an angel, it is a pity they're not more conscious of the fact that they could be much wiser if they prayed to their angels. Uh, after all, aren't we much better always when we travel in society that's a little bit nobler than ourselves? Even the children, have you ever noticed? They will often say to their mother, Mama, watch me as I do this. And then they always do it better. I play better tennis with a pro than I do with a dub. 
Why, you have a chance to move in a far better society than the Joneses. Why worry about keeping up with the Joneses? Keep up with the angels. And you'd be far wiser and happier. And then, too, an angel is a guardian. Every person in the world has a guardian angel. And why? Well, because every individual is worth more than the entire universe. As our blessed Lord said, What doth it profit a man if he gain the world? And lose his soul. Below us there are only species, and nature is careful not to preserve individuals, but just species. But when you come to man, each one is of sovereign worth, and God has given to each a guardian. And hence our Lord said of the guardian angels of children, the angels of children always see the face of the Father in heaven. What is it that protects children when they fall out of second and third story windows? One wonders honestly how a child ever gets to be a man. And you think of the pots and pans they can pull off on themselves, and all the harm that they can get into and the fires they start. It's a good thing the good Lord has given them, guardian angels. And parents ought to tell their children about the guardian angels and pray to them in order that the children may be safe during the day. And then even in times of war, a Jewish soldier told me this story. During a battle, he was with four men in a trench. And it seems as if this particular shell that hit, killed the four men. He alone was saved. He said he heard a voice saying to him, get out of this trench. He crawled on his stomach across the mud to another shell hole, and as he did, the shell exploded in the one that he left. In the second hole, the second time, he heard the voice, and he left that, and the shell exploded there, and that continued five times. The Jew afterwards told me, for the first time in my life, I began to feel the protection of God through an angel. He said, I'd read about angels in the New Testament, but I'd never thought of them. And then flying. Some people are afraid to fly. You know, I think that's a terrible insult against God to be afraid to fly. Because people are practically saying to the good Lord, as long as I'm here on this earth, you can't touch me. I'm safe. So they are saying to the good Lord, you are a coward. You may be lurking behind one of those white clouds and you'll come out and stop the propeller and send me down to the earth. Every time, every day of my life, I always say a prayer to St. Raphael. He's mentioned in the Old Testament, as you know, as the one who traveled with Tobias. I pray every day to St. Raphael to guard me when I fly and when I travel. TWA, travel with angels. <laughs> That, that commercial ought to get me a free trip to Newark sometime. 
And the good Lord has turned the beautiful side of the clouds to himself, and it's really wonderful to get up above the clouds and glorify God. We might do. Do it here on earth. And therefore, may I say to you, the reason we do not think of angels is because we do not think of God. Just as soon as we begin to think of God, or rather cease thinking of ourselves as tiny little gods, then we'll begin to believe in spirits that are wiser than ourselves can instruct and guard us. There may be a public library around the corner from you, but you do not use it, and therefore are not wise. There may be uranium in your backyard, but you do not use a Geiger counter, and you are not wealthy. There may be a Bible on your shelf, but you're not reading it, and therefore lacking spiritual inspiration. And there are angels near you to guide you and protect you, did you but invoke them. It is not later than we think. <coughs> it is a bigger world than we think. Stir your soul, start a wing, and you will discover it to be the wing of an angel of God. Bye now, and God love you. You are listening to Bishop Sheen Presents on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. My dear friends, thank you for joining me for this first uh, presentation uh, that Archbishop Sheen gave us on angels. And I want to uh, now share with you a second presentation, and it comes from Archbishop Sheen's Catechism series. And so he will teach us the faith now with a presentation titled, Original Sin and Angels. Please enjoy. Peace be to you. Looking back over our previous lessons, we have come to some such conclusions as these. First of all, our reason is capable of knowing God. By looking out upon the visible things of the world, we come to know the invisible God, his power and his wisdom. Something of his power is shown, for example, in the mountains, and we see his beauty in the sunset, his purity in a snowflake. But though reason is able to know something about God and his nature, it cannot know everything. We look on a painting. As we study it, we can divine and guess to some extent. Perhaps the era or the century in which it was painted, the style of the artist. We may guess also something of his technique and his power with the brush and paints. But we could look on that painting from now until the crack of doom and never know the inmost thoughts of the artist. If we were to know those, he would have to tell us. And so we look upon creation, and we can reason to some understanding of God, but we cannot know his inmost thoughts. If we were ever to know those, God would have to reveal them to us. That brings up the question, well, how would we know that he ever revealed himself to us? There are hundreds of people in history who have come upon its stage, 
and said, I am from God, listen to my message. God sent me. So we have to use our reason to establish certain tests or standards by which we judge among the claimants. Now, previous to the judgment of any claimant, we establish the three tests of one, whoever comes from God or claims that he came from God must be pre-announced. That is the least that God can do for us. Let us know that his representative is coming to this earth. Secondly, God should give him certain powers so that he would be able to work miracles. Not in order to astound us so much as to be signs and witnesses and proofs that he comes from God because he could do the things which only God can do. And thirdly, the doctrine of this claimant must never be contrary to reason. He may indeed, this claimant, say something that is above reason, but he may never say anything contrary to it. In other words, his doctrine must be in keeping with right reason and the aspirations of the human heart. Those were the tests. Now we apply them. And as we said, we can line up every claimant in the history of the world, from the first to the last, and among them we put the person of Christ. Then we apply the tests. We ask, was any one of you pre-announced? Only one can answer that question, as we saw, and that is the person of Christ. Secondly, we went on to show that Christ worked miracles, and particularly rose from the dead as a proof of his divinity. Now, thirdly, the rest of this course will, to some extent, deal with the third point, namely, nothing that he ever taught was contrary to human reason. But it deeply satisfied the cravings of the heart. Then we began to study Christ, his testimony about himself, that he was the Son of God and the Son of Man, and then we showed how he was both God and Namely, that he had a divine nature and a human nature, and they were both united in the unity of the divine person. Being man, he was like unto us in all things save our guilt and our sin. Being God, the reparation and the payment of the infinite debt that we contracted could be paid because he was infinite. We then proceeded to demonstrate that our Lord was not but just a teacher, the Savior from sin. That brings us up to the fact and the existence of sin. We are not going to elaborate sin in general here. We might begin by saying, remember that there are two general kinds of sin. There is such a thing as personal sin. That is to say, the sin that we commit by an act of our own will. Sin for which we are responsible. For example, stealing, lying, bearing false witness against the neighbor and the like. 
Then there is another kind of sin, which is not personal at all. In fact, our will was never explicitly involved. That is a sin which in some way attaches itself to our nature by the mere fact that we are human. That sin is called original sin. That is the subject of this lesson. There is a law that's running throughout the universe, and sacred scripture puts it. No one shall be crowned unless he has struggled. It is very evident in our own experience that we are offered certain gifts and blessings on condition that we pass certain tests. That happened during our school days. It happens in courtship. A man must be deserving of the woman that he loves. We are free. Freedom is the basis of all love. It is the right use of our freedom that purchases for us certain freedom, for certain privileges that would not otherwise be ours. A father intends to send his son to college. There's a condition involved, namely the boy has to study. Suppose he does not study. He is remiss in his duty. He spends his time in playing. Thus, by an abuse of freedom, he loses the privilege of a higher education. There was no change in the father's mind. One could never say to the father, you're cruel because you do not send your son to college. Father's very willing to send his son to college, but the boy cannot get into college. He does not pass the test. In like manner, God wants to crown certain gifts that we have. He wants to crown the right use of our freedom. He wants to give us something as our own which is not really our own. And all we have to do to possess the great gift and privilege of God is to pass the test. It's an easy test. test of loving him, which is our perfection. The test is the acknowledging of our dependence upon God, which is the condition of our relative independence. Now this law that pervades the universe was first applied to angels. Before we talk, therefore, of the fall of man, we are going to talk about the fall of the angels. Angels are very clearly mentioned in sacred scripture, and pagans believed in angels. Reason somehow suggested to them that just as there is matter in the universe, 
And just as the material universe is crowned with man, who is a mixture, as it were, of matter and spirit, so there ought to be above man certain spirits. And these were called angels. Certainly, one would not say that there should not be any intermediary, for example, between an oyster and a man. Does it not seem reasonable that between the development of the oyster in nature and the development of man, there ought to be some other kinds of life in between? It is equally reasonable to assume that between the infinite God, who is pure spirit, and ourselves, there ought to be intermediary spirits that are not infinite, but are certainly far more perfect than we are. God therefore created myriads and myriads of angels who are bodiless spirits. They have no noses, they have no mouths, they have no ears, they are just pure mind. They are therefore without bodies, they are without wings, despite all of the pictures that you ever see of angels. They have brilliant intellects, far greater than any human intellect. And an angel is created. Every angel was created. Therefore, Angels are creatures. They are dependent upon God. They are endowed with freedom. And because they are free, they also have the possibility of denying that dependence on God. This is the kind of a test, perhaps, that God put them to. He merely asked them to love him. Love and consist in them acknowledging their dependence and thus perfecting themselves. He would then confirm them in glory. They were not immediately confirmed. Perhaps this test could be explained to you something like unto maybe the test that a spider was once subjected to. A spider one day let himself down from the roof of a barn. And he let himself down through that tender and slight and slender web, just a string. The spider was very anxious to enjoy all of the flies and the gnats and the worms that were in the barnyard. When the spider got down to the barnyard, the spider spread a great web. Into that web came a great feast of flies and everything that can be served at a banquet of a spider. When finally the spider was full of all of these gifts and blessings, the spider looked up all the way to the roof of the barn and saw that slim thread reaching all the way down. And he said, I wonder what's that doing up there? So he cut it down. He lost his web, he lost his banquet, he lost everything. Dependence, as you see, is sometimes a great 
independence, as it is in the Constitution of the United States. Why, for example, are we independent? Because, as the Constitution of the United States puts it, God has endowed us with certain unalienable gifts. In other words, no state, no government, no dictator ever gave us our basic rights. They came from God. If the state gave us those rights, the state could take them away. It is therefore by acknowledging our dependence upon God that we are independent. So with the angels, so with man, so with everyone. The sunbeam denies its dependence upon the sun. It's no longer a sunbeam. So the blessings, the gifts that the angel received were to be confirmed and made permanent only on condition that they would pass the test of love. Now their sin, for they sinned, was an abuse of freedom. It was a sin of pride. They wanted to be free. They wanted to be likened to God. They could not sin by sex because they had no bodies. They could not sin by avarice because they had no pockets. Not even in their wings. For they sinned only by an undue exaltation of their intellect. In other words, I'm going to be independent of God. I'm going to be a God myself. There are some theologians who say that the angel looked into the future and saw God incarnate as Christ. And then seeing their own glory as angels, they said, well, we will not fall down and adore any God that would humble himself to human form. That is only a guess. But the truth is, they wanted to be like the uncreated, though they were the created. And the leader of them all, Lucifer, let forth his battle cry, non serviam, I will not serve. They were guilty because they did not love, and so they lost all of the blessings that they received, and one third of them fell, and they became what are known as the fallen angels, the devils. Prophet Isaiah spoke of the angels as follows. What fallen from heaven, thou Lucifer, that once did herald the dawn? I will scale the heavens, such was thy thought. I will set my throne higher than God's stars, the rival of the Most High. That, in the language of Isaiah, was the sin of the angels. And their sin cannot be forgiven. Our sins can't. Now, why cannot an angel's sin be forgiven? Well, an angel's sin cannot be forgiven because when an angel decides anything, it sees all of the consequences of its acts with perfect clarity. It sees the effects of all of its decisions in exactly the way that you and I see, for example, the principle of contradiction once it is explained to us. 
principle of contradiction is that a thing cannot be and not be at one and the same time and under the same formal circumstances. For example, a bee cannot be an elephant at one and the same time and under the same formal circumstances. Uh, once that statement is made, you see it clearly. You can never go back on the principle of contradiction. This microphone is not a rose. Absolutely clear to you. Now, an angel sees the consequences of all of its resolutions and choices, just as you see that principle. You can never take the principle of contradiction back. It's part of your mental life always. When an angel, therefore, chose to rebel against God, to make itself God, to deny love, it made pardon forever impossible. But with you and me, it's a little different. We do not always see so clearly the effects of our decisions. And because our mind is darkened and because our intellect is weakened and our will is poor in its resolutions, God allows pardon. In fact, our Lord said to Peter in answer to his question, how often should I forgive? Our Lord said, 70 times 7. That did not mean 490. It meant that no limit was to be placed upon forgiveness. In the fall of the angels, therefore, we can see sin in its nakedness. There is pure sin. It is an attempt to undo the creative act. An affirmation of self-existence. Now there's evil in the universe by an abuse of freedom. The only way that evil ever came into the world and the only way that evil ever can come into the world. Notice also that the world is out of joint before man arrived in it. Somewhere in God's universe, there's a crack, a fissure. Something has gone wrong. And it has gone wrong because someone did not use freedom rightly. Someone use freedom in the sense of the right to do whatever you please instead of the right to do whatever you want. Look back over the evolution of the universe. See all of the prehistoric animals that have come into being passed away.
Everywhere in the unfolding of the cosmos there have been biological sprouts came to dead ends. Everywhere there are blind alleys. To ask, why should the sin of the angels affect the universe? Well, one reason might be that lower creation was put under the supervision of some of the angels. And when they rebelled against God, the effects of it in some way were registered in the material universe. Nature became dislocated. Look at a complicated machine. Disturb one of the big wheels. Break a cog. And you will also disturb all of the little wheels. Throw a rock into a pond, it will affect in some way through ripples, even the most distant shore. It could be, therefore, that the fall of the angels accounted for maybe the chaos that was on the earth as described in the book of Genesis. There is every indication that something went wrong before man was made. Now maybe this evil influence is going to affect When I began this lesson, I said that I was going to talk about original sin. And I had every intention of doing it. The reason our timing is off and we did not get into the subject of original sin is because we are talking without notes. If we had written everything out, there would not be any of these mistakes. But it's always better, perhaps, to talk without notes. I always remember what an Irish woman said when she heard a bishop read a sermon. She said, glory be to God, if he can't remember it, how does he expect us to? This does not mean that we're not going to talk about original sin. You can already see the beginnings of it. To some extent, and in a very broad kind of way, perhaps the fall of the angels might be called the original sin because it introduced evil into the world. But I know that you will forgive this imperfection. There are many imperfections in these talks but because we're giving them to converts and giving them out of our heart. We show the effects of original sin, the occasional mistakes that you hear. They would not exist. There had not been the fall of the angels and eventually the fall of man. We suffer from the penalty of the introduction of evil into the universe. But to conclude, there is evil somewhere in God's universe. Something has gone wrong. Maybe those spirits that have lost the great blessings that God gave them and would have been theirs if they had only been true to the test of love, maybe those evil spirits will be jealous of God ever giving us blessings. 
they might try to destroy us, to win us away from privileges. God will certainly put us to the test. That test takes place in the Garden of Paradise. That will be the subject of our next lesson. God love Well, my dear friends, I want to thank you for joining me for this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents, and may I invite you to bring a friend next week. And uh, please know that we are here to serve, and we'd ask you to pray for us, of course, the many volunteers that uh, help keep Radio Maria on the air. My dear friends, have a blessed week, and until the next time that we meet, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you.